Praise God. I'm glad you guys were able to tune in. If you like FCC, click like and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook. And I want to challenge you to uh, send this to somebody. Also, this is fertile ground here. Consider planting a seed. Visit us at uh, our Facebook page, FCC. God bless. This week, I'm, I'm speaking on harvest. This is week two in harvest. Last week, we spoke about our personal harvest, fruit in our own life, and the importance of intentionality, focus, and follow-through. If, if you know that you will reap what you sow, how about being intentional about what it is that you're sowing so that in due time you can reap that harvest. And it, 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 intentionality. Intentionality. Being on purpose. And there's nothing wrong with that. Someone will say, well, that's self-serving, Pastor. That's, that's trying to do something to get something. Your heart needs to be to serve and to love. But there are scriptures that do say, store up, action verb, store up your treasures in heaven. It's telling you to do that. It's telling you, instead of trying to create earthly wealth, it is telling you to be actively trying to get heavenly wealth. So that means I am trying to do it for a purpose. But my purpose is to have my blessing in heaven, not here. That is telling me to do it for a reward, but my reward is there. Are you with me? And he says, he tells us how to do it. This is not my message, but I feel like the Lord says, tell me to do it. He says, be intentional to the poor. To the poor. And to, here's what it is. Those who can't pay you back. Those who can't help you out. Who have no position or authority to give you. They have nothing to offer you. Serve those. By doing so, by helping and serving those you are intentionally storing treasures in heaven. He gives an example. He says, true religion is helping the widows and the orphans. Why is that true religion? Because they can't pay you back if they wanted to. The opposite's true. If you ever hustle a poor person, God said he is their defender. Better look out. It says, if they call upon me, I will come and I will be their defender. See, so the opposite's true, though, as well. Let us remember that. Let's be intentional with our living, with our loving, with our giving. Amen? So this week, I want to talk to you about the harvest of the souls. Harvest of the souls. Now, I know that you guys just sat down, but those of you who are willing and able for the reading of God's word in Matthew 9, 36, we are going to read this passage through 38. And this is Jesus talking. This is red letters. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send some more workers into the fields. Father God, I pray it's your word that is spoken today and not my own. Lord, that you would open the minds and hearts of your people to receive. 
And Father God, that not only receive, but to apply to their life. We ask and pray all these things according to your good and perfect will and name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The, the interesting part of this text, as you, as you start to examine it, it says that God looked upon them with compassion because they were confused and helpless. And I want to just stop there. Let's, we got to see why did he have compassion on them. Sometimes when I see a confused person, I don't always have the feeling of compassion. I'm like, hey, they need to study or they need to figure it out or, you know, why are they so confused? This is simple. What's the problem, you know? But you add confused and helpless, they don't have a way to figure it out. They don't know how to get out of the position that they're in. They don't have the answer that they're looking for. He says they were sheep without a shepherd. So let's take this in the context. When we look at shepherds and sheep, which was common in that time, and, and it's, a, it's a common allegory, vernacular that is spoken, sheep need to be led. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of insulting to us that he is our shepherd. And, and we need him. Because a sheep can't save itself from a wolf, a lion, or a bear. It doesn't have the capacity to do so. Even if it wanted to. You had the biggest, baddest sheep. Flexing. Can't do nothing. Can't do nothing to the, to the wolf, the lion, or the bear. It needs the shepherd to come in and defend. So when he says they are like sheep without a shepherd, it's saying they, if attacked, are going to die. They will scatter. They don't know where the fresh green grass is, where the fresh water is. They can't help themselves because they're sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. The analogy is the world is lost. They need a savior. That savior is Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd. We know who he is. We, the body of Christ, those who are in this room, we know who he is. Now the question is, if they are lost and on their way to get slaughtered, if you will, how much do you care about that? They're wandering around, and you know there's some, some wolves and bears and lions around the corner that you can tell. Sometimes you guys know this. You, you'll see somebody like, oh, man, good luck. You're, you're not trying to be mean. You just see the whole picture. You see the family situation. You see them. You see the path they're on. You're like, unless the Lord intervenes, this ain't going to end up well. Teachers, you see it in your students. Uncles, you see it in your nephews, your nieces, grandmas, grandpas. You always, man, you see it like clockwork. You see it with eagle eye vision. Grandparents, you'd be like, ooh. That's why you pray so well. Because you see that, you're like, oh, Jesus, if you don't intervene. Because my son's a knucklehead. The girl who slept with him, even dumber. I ain't trying to be mean, but if you sleeping with my boy, 
okay, let me break it down, because I, I promise to be a real pastor, right? If he don't got a good job with benefits, huh? What? Why? For, for, sorry, trying to keep it PG. I see some kids up in here. So for a moment of pleasure with such high risks, now you stuck with that joker for 18 years plus and their shenanigans, and you knew they weren't right to begin with just because they look good. or the, Sometimes them the crazy ones. Am I right? And then you find yourself five years later, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just, you're praying, but he told you in his word, don't be, don't be unequally yoked. He told you abstain from that. Avoid the very appearance of evil, and then you find yourself in this situation. Now, praise God, he can do miracles. He, he, can, he can intervene. There's hope. Getting back to this, do you care that the world's on fire and heading to hell? Jesus cared. He said he had compassion. There are sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd die. Bottom line. They die. They, they are a, an animal that is a prey. Then there's predators in this world that are looking for prey. We know that we have an enemy, the devil, Satan, who roams around seeing who he can devour. Who he can, meaning he needs permission. And if you are sheep in a sheepfold with a shepherd, he does not have permission. But once you step out the sheep, the sheep who jumps over the fence, you're on your own. You're no longer under the covering. Some of you are getting, some of you aren't. Some of this, this is, this is, I'm, I'm going deep at the same time as just trying to hover there for a moment. There's an order to God's kingdom. There's a way in which things should be handled and done. He's saying he had compassion, and not only compassion, he says, pray that God sends more workers, because he was amongst the workers. And what is our slogan here? If you're not serving, you're... What does your service look like? Do you care? The world is on fire. So let me talk a little bit about what Jesus patterned for us. Jesus was walking along the beach, and this is what he said in Matthew 4, fisher of men. One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing their net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Then they left their nets at once and followed him. Here's the interesting thing. They knew their occupation, but they didn't know what Jesus was about to teach them. So you might be good 
at whatever it is that you do. Whether you're an accountant, a manager, a, a, a choir director, a teacher, whatever it is, you're good at that. But are you good at saving souls, teaching people, serving, leading in the kingdom, God, along kingdom principles? This is something that I learned in ministry is sometimes those who are gifted in the business world, we think they are going to be good ministry leaders. Oftentimes they're not. Some of those skills translate over. If you were a good accountant and you're helping to count the finances of the church, that will translate over. But if you are a CEO and you come to try to run a church, you're going to look at dollars and cents, P's and Q's. But you're not going to look at souls. You can look at numbers. It's a different thing to lead a ministry to try to fish for souls. So the interesting thing, if we break up this verse, Jesus said what? First, follow me. There's got to be a leader and there's got to be a follower. He said, follow me. And I will show you how to be fishers of men. He also says in other scriptures, he says, Jesus said, those who love me obey my commandments. So what he's saying is, follow me and do what I show you to do. Paul even says this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Meaning if he stops following Christ, stop following him. If he steps out of line, he's a man. He, he's going to fail. At that moment, we give some grace, pray for him to get back in step. But we only follow as people follow Christ. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. Jesus established a pattern. Follow me as I... Follow me and I will show you. I will show you how to be fishers of men. See, this is the interesting thing in churches. Um, and this is international. Churches, because it says we are already hungry for workers. We, Jesus said that. The harvest is great. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of Harvest that he'll send more workers. It's called the Pareto Principle. The Pareto Principle says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You notice that in your own places of work or where you did work. You got those ones who are slacking on the clock. Don't get busy till the boss comes in the room. Try to cheat the time card. 10, 15 minutes here, 10, 15 there. And they say they got out this time. You know they left early. You saw them pulling out of the parking lot. Those people. In the church world, those numbers are a little bit less. It's more like 10, 15% do 80% of the work and giving. If we had 100% participation, we, we, could, we could take Mount Pleasant. And then we could branch out. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. We're planted here in this place for a reason. See, I was in Midland, but I'm not ministering in Midland anymore. I'm ministering in. Why is that? That's where I'm at. That's where God called me. That's where he planted me. This is my ministry field and season and time and flock. Do I care about the others? Absolutely I do. But this is a new season. Say new season. Mm. Peter and Andrew were going to be the ones trained. And then after they were trained, then they were to go. So you can't go before you've been trained. You don't know the play. How can I put you on the field? 
blue 42 is a dive to the right and you're going left, how, how am I supposed to put you in? Right? Equipping. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So there's a few things going on here. God gave the church gifts and called appointed ministries. He lists them here. There's five. Apostles, prophets. Apostles usually establish a work. They're your church planners. They put people in positions. Prophets, you couple that with perceivers. They're, they're black and white in their approach to the word of God. They, 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 they're also akin to the teachers who try to equip and, 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 and get things out. Evangelists are the ones who reach them and bring them in. They, they reach the lost, they bring them in, and the teachers help disciple them along with the, with the prophets. And the pastors are the comforters, the shepherds, the mercy and gift. And those are gifts to the church. But here's the interesting thing. These are generally the leaders of the church in different seasons. But here's the common misconception in churches today. And they feel that it's the pastor's responsibility to do the work of the church. What does this scripture say right here? It tells us that it's the responsibility to equip the church to do the work. The biblical approach is that these fivefold gifts show and teach and instruct the body, and the body goes and does the work. I often equate it like this. If, if, if God appointed me to, uh, to be the pastor of this house here and say, let's say this house, this church, this body of believers, we're like a ship and a crew. And if I'm steering the ship as the captain, I have uh, some others helping me. And then the body of Christ are the crew. The crew does many important functions. A ship can't go, just someone driving, unless someone's in the machine room making sure the motor's running, right? Someone's got to feed the crew, all, all the other things. However you want to do that analogy, it takes a team, right? But is the captain supposed to drive the ship, go down, do the maintenance to the motor? Hey, let me throw out some fishing lines because we're supposed to be fishing for souls, right? Let me fish and check the bait, make sure we have bait, get that going. And okay, let me go uh, tune up this prop, this prop. Is and, hey, we got a leak over here. Let me get the village pump and uh, throw the buckets of water out. Or am I supposed to be steering the ship? See, I'm not hating on nobody. What I'm saying is this is the biblical order of things. I just want to put this out there. If you disagree with me, come talk to me about it. If you're confused about scriptures, come see me. Am I being clear? Because this is divine order. If I'm catching people talking in the back, 
I'm going to interrupt. If you're in public service in this house and there's some stuff going on in public, it's going to be addressed. It already started and it's going to continue until there's order in the house. Or, or else I'm not the pastor and I should pack up and, and, and get going. Right? Some of you didn't like that, but that's okay. If you didn't like it, there's, a pro- there's probably an issue with authority. There's probably a rebellious spirit, Jezebel or Absalom. There's probably something in there that needs to be dealt with. That's why you don't like it. That's why you're, it's eating your crawl. I'm even saying it right now. It's messing with you. It's messing with you. Because you haven't learned divine authority and how to serve and to be served. So here's this equipping that's going on in the body of Christ. So God's saying, we need workers. God is saying, we've got to learn how to be workers. He's saying, pray for more workers. He's saying, and there's a lost world that needs Jesus. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. We're not all called to be pastors of a church. You don't want that call. I guarantee you, you don't want that call. You want to do what God has called you to do. Don't look for someone else's call. Obey God for your call. But we are all royal priests. It says it right here in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people. This is talking about you. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare his praises, or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. We are called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And part of that gospel is who he was, what he did, and his soon return. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we just talk about who he was and what he did. That's awesome. But we got to remember, Jesus is coming again. And he needs to find a bride, the church, who has made herself ready and is, can stand before him so he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the interesting thing. If you're not being a servant, how can he say, well done? Well done at sucking oxygen and eating food. Is that, is that, I'm sorry, some of you didn't like that. I'm not trying to be mean. What I'm, contrary to popular belief, I'm trying to encourage you to put your hand to the plow so that when you get there, he can say, well done. Good and faithful. Those are two separate things. Because you can be faithful at being naughty. But he's looking for good. Say good. And faithful. Good and faithful servant. This is it. Chris, where'd you, put, where'd you put my thing, Chris? So I had this analogy. I didn't want to get too crazy on you. But if the world is on fire, let me just set this here for a second. Right here, we just have one of these fire extinguishers. And it's, we're, we're called to be witnesses. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power, and after 
the Holy Ghost comes on you, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So let's break this down. It is essential that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's essential. I know that makes people uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit is an interesting thing. He is an interesting person of the Trinity. And how he operates sometimes is still mysterious to us. However, I want to point out that this is Peter talking, or Christ talking to, to, the, to the saints to go to the upper room. And after the, the Acts 2 experience, when they received the Holy Ghost, Peter, who denied Christ three times, after that, preached to 3,000. Something changes when Holy Spirit comes in. There's a boldness and a strength. Because some of you have the desire to, but you're just like, I don't know. But when you get the Holy Spirit, despite your insecurities, despite your uh, feelings of inadequacy, you're still going to go forward. And Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit at that time will give you the words to say. Sometimes we know we're supposed to go talk to that person. We're afraid to go talk to them because we don't know what to say. That's Satan messing with us. Just go. Be obedient. Those who love me, obey my commands. Go, be my witnesses. Tell my praises. So you go, and when the conversation starts, let Holy Spirit begin to walk to you. I'd be, me, I'd be praying, Lord, give me words to say, help me out. I need you. I'm going to be obedient, but I need you to help me out. And he, he's faithful. He will help you out. So here we see that there's something special. If you don't have that, the, you know, the the... If you have Jesus in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit. Don't, I don't want anyone to be misled. But there's a separate and distinct thing that happens. There's some sort of empowerment or equipping. And, I, and, I, and my vocabulary fails me because a lot of people have come up in different beliefs and they have different wordings for it. But what we see here is that there was an evidence of this empowering and equipping. And he says, when you have received that, then go. Because if you're going to try to go before you receive that, according to this scripture, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems out of order in the scripture. What do, you, what do you say? Is there an order here? Doesn't mean we still can't serve. It's just talking about witnessing, like trying to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you can't mow the lawn. Doesn't mean you can't have a trunk, a trunk or tree. Doesn't mean that you can't uh, help in the house or, or some sort of way. But, but there's something interesting when you start having a conversation with someone about who Jesus Christ is. Because Satan doesn't want that. He's going to twist and turn and he's going to get in their mind and have them debate you on different things. Here's the interesting thing. You can't correct mentor or help. A spirit. Does that make sense? Have you ever debated with someone and you proved your point and then they said, well, what about this? They just jumped on to the next thing. Like, we, we, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about this. Well, what about that? That's a, I, I would dare say there's, a, there's something going on. You're not just dealing with the person anymore because they're not seeking truth. If you just prove them the truth of Jesus and they say, well, what about this? The Bible is just a historic book written by man. True, archaeologically proven, historically founded, scientifically 
legit. That's there. So here, let's look at the rest of this verse. It says, you'll be my witnesses unto both Jerusalem and all Judea. Jerusalem was the city that they were in. He didn't tell them to go to Samaria first. He said, Jerusalem, where you're at. Are you picking this up? If he called you to Mount Pleasant, where to serve in Mount Pleasant? I'm from Grand Rapids, but that's not where my ministry is. Do I care and love for them people? Yes. I may send support and prayers their way, but this is where God has me. So this is where I'm going to serve. He says it right here. And then Judea, that's their neighbors to the south, the tribe of Judah. Now go, go minister to them. They're your cousins, they're your friends, they're nearby. They might be Claire, they might be Farwell, wherever, whoever is closest around us, and then we start branching out. See, what you see, it's a ripple effect. The ripple starts from the middle and then spreads out. It doesn't go opposite and come back in. That's out of order. Then, Samaria. Here's a, here's a, here's, it's not in Scripture, but this is just from my experience. Doing that thing, starting here and spreading out, prepares you, builds your character, develops you, so that when you are further away from home, further away from your base, your resources, your people, you have support. You, ha you can handle it. You can bring it. But if you can't serve well and faithfully where you're at, it's going to flounder out there. You might do some stuff. There might be activity. But there's a difference between activity and accomplishment. What are we hoping to accomplish? We want to save some souls. And here we have the fire extinguisher of the gospel. And people outside are on fire. Do you care that they're on fire and heading to hell? Do you care? Do you even give a darn? Or are you just worried about your own problems, your own concerns, your own things? I've been there. I say, hey, good luck to you. I got my own things I got to handle. But the kingdom of God is opposite. When you start helping them, you'll get your help. When you start praying for them, someone's going to pray for you. When you start relieving their pain or crying with them, even though you got your own things to cry about, God's working for you. The kingdom of God is opposite that way. It's, 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 a, it's a mystery in a lot of sense. But the thing of the matter is, once you determine that, once you learn that, now you can sow intentional seeds. You can go and minister. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. Likewise, press down, shaken together, and overflowing. And, I, and I've often illustrated that with a smile. You give a smile, you get a smile. But it's so much more. It's so much grander. So here we are. The world is on fire. And you walk around with a fire extinguisher. Oh, I'm just going to let them burn. I've I got to go. I'm busy. Got to pick up my kids. Oh, she's on fire. Well, good luck. That hair is going to smell. Oh, his beard's on fire. Mm, I could put it out. But I choose not to. I got the extinguishing, saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can tell him Jesus loves you. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. He allowed you to be conceived even if it wasn't, didn't look like it was a good situation. 
because he's going to use you for great and mighty things. He's going to equip and anoint you. You are special in his eyes. You are a holy priesthood, a special possession. He loves you dearly. He's going to use you. Who doesn't want to hear that? You mean there's a purpose, even though my, my dad left? Even though he wasn't there to show me how to be a man, there's a purpose for me to be a man? Even though mom struggled day in and day out, there's hope? There's a plan? You mean there's a plan? There's a hope? Show me this plan. Help me out with that. And that leads me to my next verse, Ezekiel 33. Not only do they need that word, not only do they need that encouragement, we need to give it. We need to give it. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men to make their watchmen. And he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet and to warn the people. Then if any of them who hears the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes against him and takes his blood, it's on his own head. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. The sound of the trumpet is us sharing the gospel. His blood is on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would have been saved. He would have saved himself. If they received the gospel that you share with them, they can save themselves. But if the watchman sees it coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes life of the one of them, that man, he will be taken away because of his sin. Son of man, I have made you a watchman. For the house of Israel. So hear my word and speak and give them warning from me. We are accountable to share the gospel. You might think you're just going and not helping, but you're going to be held accountable. The enemy's coming if you don't sound the alarm. Hey, be careful. Don't go there. Be careful. That's going to lead to death and destruction. For the wages of sin is death. Not just, not just hating on him. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't, when they die, their blood is on your hands. You knew them and you failed to, you failed to share the gospel. There's some sort of accountability there. I'm not reading the whole thing, but if you want to look at it, Ezekiel 33, chapter 33, starting in the first verse, you begin to read that. And it talks, now it talks about war and swords, but what this is, is the gospel, is the warning. And not everyone you share with is going to believe. Why? This is how I know that. Jesus was the best teacher, the most loving, most compassionate person, and not everyone followed him. It's our responsibility to sound the alarm. To share the message some way, somehow. Whether they listen or not is on them. I want to encourage you this morning. Use what God has given you. 
He's blessed each and every one of you. You have a sphere of influence. Use it to the positive. Use it to the betterment of the kingdom. Not to divide or sow dissension, but to unify, to help, and to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy that are being thrown at your brethren. And when you help put out their fire, when you're on fire, they're going to come put out your fire. Does that make sense? You got a plan. You got a purpose. God is stirring in some of your minds and hearts right now. Let's stand to our feet. Some of you know there's a call. Some of you know that there's something going on. But you've been running from it. I'm here to say stop running. Stop running. Yes, you may not be equipped or you feel inadequate for that time, for this time. But start where you're at. And just be faithful where you're at. Thank you.